Credit Crunch. Talked yesterday about the similarities between today and 1990 in terms of the oil supply shock. But what about the credit environment, credit supply? The late 1980s was the SNL crisis. And there are more similarities here than you might imagine, as you'll see in the statistics as we go over them. But back in 1989, early 1990, credit was becoming such a topic in the credit crunch itself that even the Federal Reserve and its policymakers were no longer able, able to just dismiss it and ignore it. They actually had to talk about it. And of course, as you would expect, they downplayed the credit crunch right on the eve of the recession as it showed up. But still, they at least had to acknowledge that something was going on in the banking system and it was having some undetermined impact up to that point in the real economy. Now, why didn't they pay more attention to the credit crunch and the credit supply issues? Well, that's what we'll go over here today. And then we'll get into what the Federal Reserve said yesterday, the revenge of the dots. And we'll talk about the similarities in the credit crunch environment, the credit supply environment today versus 1990. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University, we have memberships available where we talk about the Eurodollar system, money, money theory, what it is, why it matters, global reserve currencies, what those are, why the Eurodollar is it, not really the dollar, and how it might not be working the way it's supposed to work. And how does it supposed to work? That's what we focus a lot of our attention on. Learning about the Eurodollar system way of doing global reserve currency money. That's what our memberships are for. And you can find out information about them at our website, eurodollar.university. So we're going to start out today going back to July of 1990, hot summer of 1990. Saddam Hussein, Iraq, Kuwait, all that stuff. But no, what was gaining a lot of attention at the FOMC meetings was SNLs. Although they didn't use that term very much. Instead, they did talk about credit crunch. In fact, the term credit crunch shows up in the July 1990 transcript 17 times, unusually, because by then it was becoming more and more of an issue. But was it just an annoyance, a nuisance, or was it something that they need to factor in terms of their forecast for recession, not recession, a recovery, just economic, no landing as many of them surmised. And the discussion quickly turned to how they would even know. How do they even quantify? How do they predict and project the effect of restricted credit supply on the real economy? And this set off a pretty substantial discussion that might just surprise people that back then as well as even people today. We're going to start out with a fellow by the name of Robert Perry, Perry who was the president of the Federal Reserve Branch in San Francisco. And he asked the question of Mike Prell. What he said was, on the basic assumption that a shift in credit supply conditions has occurred. Throughout the Green Book and the Blue Book, there was certainly discussion of these events. Could you give me some idea as to how important those conditions are in terms of the forecast? And Prell, Mike Prell sort of, you can tell he didn't want to answer it. Again, you can't really... You don't hear the discussion when you're reading through the transcript, but you can get a sense of feel of how the discussion is going. What Prell responded was, well, we don't have a quantification. It is woven into the forecast and, as I suggested, is not a big effect. And how it's woven into the forecast, that's what Robert Perry was really trying to get at. Okay, I see that it's not a big effect, but how do we know that's actually the case in reality? It's not a big effect in your models, so tell me a little bit more about how your models take into account a credit crunch and a restriction in credit supply, because we can see it happening. 
And Prell went a little bit further and he said, well, if this forecast were spit out by a model, then yes, I'd have a better basis. But of course, we are always adjusting for various surprises and to isolate this one would be very difficult. Yeah, right. But I think one needs to lay on top of those direct interest rate effects, whatever allowance one makes for collateral requirements. I suggest that perhaps the decline in consumer sentiment might have been affected to some degree by all this press discussion of shortages of credit and the possibly bad effects on business. That might be why consumers are less confident than they were before. What he was really saying is that, first of all, the Fed is talking about a credit crunch because it was in the news. The newspapers were talking about the nightly, nightly uh, news reports back when those were things. They were talking about credit supply because it was showing up. And it, you, even the media could tell this was not going to go well. But the Fed said, you know, we're not all that worried about the credit crunch nor the oil price shock that was going on at the same time because, well, we're not really sure. We see some impact on consumer confidence. And this, this led Alan Greenspan to jump in and just clarify the situation or the discussion or the debate at that, at that moment. Here's what Greenspan said. Well, I think Bob, Bob being Bob Perry, the San Francisco Fed president, is saying that in a very structural sense, Consumer confidence is an element in the model and interest rates are an element in the model, but the credit crunch is not. And the issue here is how you embody that in your forecast other than say through consumer confidence or some other variable, or in this particular case, I would assume, oh boy, add factor adjustments. How do you capture that? That's the issue he is raising. And Prell once again answered, I don't have an answer. I'd like to, but it's very hard because there are too many things going on at once. And the startling truth here is the Fed and its DSGE models do not take into account directly credit environment or really financial variables overall. They might, they might uh, tie credit supply to, as they were saying in this discussion, to perceptions in consumer, uh, consumer sentiment or business sentiment. So you and I get a little bit more pessimistic when we realize we can't access credit in the same way. And that pessimism is how they actually try to incorporate the effect in their econometric models. They don't say the credit supply is being restricted, therefore it has a direct impact on the economy. They don't know. They simply assume that it might have some knock-on effects in some variable that they do capture and that they do measure. That's a whole lot of guesswork. And that's what really, that's really what Bob Perry was getting at. It's like, wait a minute, we've got a credit crunch going on here and you're telling me that we don't really take into account, but that's the truth. They don't really take into, we don't take this directly into account. They try to measure impacts and second order effects through other variables that they do. And this hasn't changed. It's one reason why the great, great, uh, the global monetary crisis of 2008 and the great quote unquote recession caught them so off guard because they don't model directly financial and credit impacts, which seems like a huge blind spot, especially when you look at the actual statistics. You look at the statistics here. We're going to use the Federal Reserve's H8 data on commercial banks. It's the same data we're going to use for, for our current aid, our current year, 2022 and 2023 what's going on now. So apples to apples comparison here. What you see is exactly what you would expect. You see credit supply becoming tight. And I'm going to show you this on a logarithmic scale because it makes the differences in trend much easier to see. Um, in a logarithmic scale, we should see the trend going straight in a straight line because that's, you know, nonlinear growth. 
But essentially, 19, in, in terms of bank credit, the first variable we show, overall bank credit, which includes lending as well as securities owned. So it's basically all the financial assets that banks, banks uh, invest in. What you see is bank credit started to really deviate around May and June of 1990, just before this discussion I highlighted is, took place. The reason bank credit was deviating was if you look at the lending numbers, overall lending, that had started to fall off track back in late 1989. Again, credit was still growing, but it was growing at a much slower pace, which in this context means a slower pace than what, what uh, the pace of credit expansion or economic expansion or any expansion before. A, a downturn in pace or a slower pace is actually a contraction. It doesn't need to be an absolute collapse. It doesn't even need to be a negative number. All it needs to be is growing at a substantially less pace and maintaining at a substantially less pace to become a tight credit environment or a credit crunch. It's exactly what you see in the lending data. And in particular, loans to commercial and industrial borrowers, a cyclical indication, business loans that are usually used to invest productively. In late 1989, big time trend change. So the credit crunch and the credit supply environment really impacted the cyclical part, business and business credit. And still, the Federal Reserve doesn't, didn't really take into account what was going on there. Instead, they were modeling consumer sentiment, maybe something about business sentiment, some economic statistics, but never really taking measure of how that credit crunch might impact the real economy, especially as it collided with, as I talked about yesterday, the sudden surge in oil prices that was just too much of a headwind. So you've got the credit crunch headwind and you've got the oil price headwind. And the result was in July of 1990, the NBER says the recessions began. And that was the same month when this discussion was taking place and the Fed said, we don't see any impact from the credit crunch. In fact, they were very optimistic about the credit crunch not having an impact. And that's when the recession began. So let's talk about what Jay Powell did and or what Jay Powell said yesterday, the FOMC did with their dots and how that might, might play out in terms of the credit crunch we can see developing in the, statistics, in the statistics. In fact, we see them developing in exactly the same way as 89 and 1990, except maybe a little bit more severe of a credit restriction nowadays than 30 years ago. And Powell did exactly what most people expected. The FOMC did what most people expected. They raised rates, or they didn't raise rates, they paused, but they, they raised the dots, the dots in particular for next year. And so a lot of focus has gone in on the dots. Does that mean higher for longer? What does that mean? And the way you interpret the dots is that when the dots were lower next year compared to this year, that was the FOMC forecasting recession and therefore expecting to lower rates as the recession developed. And now that they're not forecasting recession, now that they're thinking that the economy is just fine, resilient, strong, Strong consumer spending, strong labor market, low unemployment rate, all that stuff embedded in the, the raising of the GDP forecast for this year and next year, all of it. What they're saying is we don't see a recession risk, so there's no reason for the dots to go down next year. There's no reason for rates to go down at all. So more and more participants on the FOMC, those who provide their own individual dots, what they said was we don't see a recession, so there's no reason to, to move rates down. That's what Powell said. 
uh, in his prepared remarks yesterday, he mentioned that in addition, the economy is facing headwinds from tighter credit conditions for businesses and households. So what Powell said in response to consumer credit and business credit becoming more, more restricted, that headwind, he said, I guess I would point to, rather than pointing to a sense of inflation having become more persistent, we've seen inflation be more per persistent over the course of the past year, but I wouldn't say that's that I wouldn't say that's something that's appeared in the recent data. It's more about stronger economic activity, I would say. So if I had to attribute one thing, again, we're picking medians here and trying to attribute one explanation, but I think broadly stronger economic activity means we have more we have to do more with rates, and that's what that meaning is telling you. So in the context of the dots, the strong economy that they see is we don't need rate cuts next year. And so there's fewer rate cuts, uh, fewer participants thinking recession, th fewer participants saying lower rates next year. Therefore, the median jumps up, uh, I think it was half a percentage point to 5.1% for 2024. So the dots aren't about inflation. They're about lack of recession. But thinking back to our 1990 discussion, how much of a credit crunch or how much of a role would a credit crunch play in creating a recession? And would the Federal Reserve actually incorporate that into their dots? And we know the answer to both of those questions because on the first part, they don't incorporate credit crunches or credit supply. They incorporate only the second and third hand impacts of those on certain variables, as we said before, especially consumer sentiment, which has already been low to begin with. So they're writing that one off because consumer sentiment in the U.S. has been low since the middle of last year and it hasn't produced a recession so far. They've concluded that, at least we can, we can reasonably speculate they've concluded that the credit crunch won't be a problem because consumer sentiment is already in the toilet and it has never really come out. So there won't be any impact according to their models and their models are telling them no recession. But what do the statistics actually say? We go back to the H8 numbers and you look, they're very much like 1990. You see, again, logarithmic scale, bank credit rising at a particular rate and on a pretty solid trend, then suddenly it deviates. When does it deviate? In the middle of last year. So again, the, the Federal Reserve is thinking, well, this is no big deal. It's, it's been deviating, consumer, consumer sentiments down in the toilet. It hasn't produced a recession so far. It's not going to produce a recession. But that was bank credit. That was, that was the value of U.S. treasuries and some, and some other uh, fixed income assets. That wasn't necessarily lending to the real economy. When you look at the lending statistics, uh, overall lending, what you see is that one begins to deviate earlier this year. So like the, credit, uh, the, the lending statistics in 1989-1990, we're only several months into the credit crunch and credit supply issue. Maybe we haven't seen the full impacts. And again, that's what Powell, to be fair here, that's what Powell and the FOMC continue to say is a downside risk when they say headwinds about tighter credit environment. This is what we're talking about, credit supply and a credit crunch. But they're still downplaying the effect of it or potential effect of it because they don't directly model it. And a big one, again, just like 1989, 1990, Lending to commercial and industrial borrowers. That's a big one. It's a cyclical indicator. And it is, like the like 30-some years ago, it's gone way off trend 
last year into this year and continuing to get further off trend with the banking crisis in March and April. So cyclical lending, that's way down, not just off trend, that's actually down. Uh, overall lending has become has become noticeably off trend. So there's credit supply restriction, credit restraint, and there's no suggestion, no hint that there's that this is going to end anytime soon. On the contrary, we continue to hear anecdotes, we continue to get data, all of which shows us that banks are becoming even more defensive, not less. They're not risk-taking, they're not going to be lending, they're going to be continuing to, to tighten credit because they're more worried about their own balance sheets than they are extending loans into the real economy. And unlike the Federal Reserve, it's not that difficult for us to imagine the credit crunch is going to create an enormous problem for the real economy on top of oil prices that are resurgent. So again, we have the similarities to 1990. But the one difference, the one difference, the huge key difference here, and it's not in our favor today, in 1990, they had the, the economy of the 1980s at their back. They had the booming, legitimately booming, not the booming stuff that we talk about today, but legitimately booming system that had been booming for a long time that wasn't anywhere close to done booming. We were just moving into the, the, the computer and internet and telecommunications revolutions, opening up the global economy. Globalization was just now, was just then becoming more and more um, more and more helpful, more and more long-run consistent. Um, so we've got similar credit environment, credit, credit crunch, credit supply restrictions. We've got oil prices just like 1990. We've got the Federal Reserve who doesn't believe in either of those things or believe that those, those are going to be a problem or even measure them. But we don't have the 1980s economy today. Boy, we could really use it now. If you haven't seen it already, I highly recommend you check out yesterday's video on the comparison oil shocks, what they did in 1990, but not just 1990, what they do to any economy. It's not inflation, I assure you. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, your Dollar University members and our subscribers. And until next time, take care.